0: Good morning, morning, morning. I hear an echo, echo, echo. Palm Sunday. Everybody hold up your palms. We're going to raise our palms to King Jesus. How about that, right? All right, that works. I didn't get down to the market to buy any palms today, sorry. My name is Randy, one of the teaching team. Uh, glad to be with you on this special day. Um, over the last few months, we have been in a series called The Good and Beautiful Community, being the community of Jesus, a series on sharing the life of Jesus with others. And in this series, we have considered eight characteristics of the church. We looked at the church as a peculiar community, the church as a hopeful community, the church as a serving community, the church as a Christ-centered community church as a reconciling community, church as an encouraging community, the church as a generous community, the church as a worshiping community. And this morning we've reached the end of this series and we're going to be looking at the topic this morning, the church as a called community. And before we head there though, let's pray. Papa, what a joy it is to... Uh, gather together, really. Both to love and adore you as well as to share life together as your people, as brothers and sisters, as friends. And as we uh, are reminded this morning of these various callings to us as a community, to us as individuals, might we be stirred again Might our hearts be warmed again with love and passion for you that spills out in commitment. We thank you for your calling. And we embrace it together today in Jesus' name. We started out this series looking at a verse in 1 Peter which described the church as being a peculiar people. At the end of that verse, Peter speaks about the church as a called community. And he said this, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. The Bible talks a lot about the theme of being chosen and called. In fact, there's dozens of verses just in the New Testament identifying things that we're called to. And for our time this morning, we're going to look at seven of those. Near the end of this verse, Peter says, We are called out of darkness and out of the world. Throughout the Bible... Our world is described as being under the control and influence of evil, represented by darkness. But Jesus came to set us free from darkness. John 12:46 Jesus said, "I have come as light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark." And then in John 8:12 Jesus said, "I'm I am the light of the world, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And while very often our world looks very bright and full of light, even when it's cloudy outside, it's still awfully bright out there, the reality is, is that darkness and evil is loose upon our world. Open up Google, look at a newspaper, grab U.S. News. And we're reminded of the tragedies all around us, even in our own homes. The reality is that the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. He's been doing that since the first day in the garden when he lured and enticed humankind away from God. Looking to destroy marriages, families, children, teenagers, adults, and even the elderly. And one of the challenges with darkness is that when we're in darkness, we're blind to the reality and the dangers that it holds. We can even imagine good treasure in a dark cave. Light, however, reveals the ugliness and the dangers around us. God's plan in Christ, Peter says, is to deliver us from darkness And to call us into God's wonderful light and into His kingdom of love. Not only are we called into God's light and into His kingdom, but it's God Himself who turns the lights on and infuses His light into us. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6 and 7, For God who said, Let there be light in the darkness has made this light shine in our hearts so that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that this great power is from God and not from ourselves. We're not the ones who turn on our flashlights to find our way out of the dark. Rather, it was God who has released His light to fill our hearts, to give us the gift of being able to even see Jesus and coming to knowledge of God through Him. Though the light shining in our hearts was the result of God's doing, we have a responsibility to turn from darkness and to turn into His light. Paul says, "...though you were once full of darkness..." Now in God you are light. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. So carefully determine what pleases God and take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead expose them. How we spend our time, where we go, what we do, what we read, watch and look at, it makes a difference. As to the amount of light and freedom from darkness that we will see and experience as God's children. As followers of Jesus, we're called out of darkness. We're called into God's light. And we're called to be holy. A word used throughout the Old and New Testaments to describe God, the things of God and the people of God, is this word holy. If we were to do word association, when I say the word holy, what words do you think of? Help me out. Set apart. Perfect. Pure. Complete. Complete. Of uh, The church sacraments? Impossible? In its essence, the word holy means set apart for special use. Or set apart for God's use. It, it does include the connotation of something that's been purified and cleansed. One of the verses from the Bible that impacted me personally as a teenager was 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20-22. through 22. And as a young teenager struggling with sin and challenges and even some addictions, I found this verse to be a calling to me. In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions and the cheap ones are for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean and you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. Flee from anything that stirs up youthful lusts. Instead, run towards righteous living faithfulness, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord with clean hearts. God's people are not to be common, ordinary, like the world. Instead, we're to be holy, set apart, different, peculiar, weird. We're to be cleansed of the things of this world that defile To make us pure, we're set apart for special purpose. God's plan is for us to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, who was in many ways a superhero. He walked on water, he overcame temptation, he raised the dead to life again, he died for the sins of the world. He rose from the grave and he now rules as king of kings and lord of lords. That's a pretty good superhero. And you know, while we might look like we live very ordinary lives, the truth is that with God's power flowing into us, his intention is for us as well to live extraordinary lives. Being used by him in profound and powerful ways. I want to read a, a somewhat familiar passage and, and lead you perhaps to a new vision of the life that God's called you for. At least maybe a reminded one. First Peter says, get ready for action. Don't be intoxicated. Rather, set your hope fully and completely on the grace that comes to you in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Like children who listen and respond, don't continue to live the way you did before you met God. Instead, as he who called you is holy, be holy yourselves in how you live. For it's written, be holy, for I am holy. I know for me, growing up as a teenager, those words were uh, difficult words to hear. I suspect probably, like me, when we hear the words, be holy, for I am holy, we hear judgment. Maybe scolding. You naughty little boy. You need to behave yourself. What if I suggested to you, rather than scolding, God means those words to be an invitation, a blessing. I picture this a little bit like the time after his resurrection he was meeting with the disciples and Jesus is with them in that closed room. And this text says Jesus blew upon them and said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I would just invite you just for a moment, just a, a slight exercise here to close your eyes. And I want you to go to that room with the disciples and with Jesus. Or if that's not something you easily can do, just simply imagine Jesus here this morning and he's looking at you can you picture him can you look into his eyes can you see him blow upon you and say to you be filled with the Holy Spirit be holy for I am holy Live the life you were designed to live. Live empowered to live beyond your capabilities. Live the very life that I lived, holy and full of the Holy Spirit. Be empowered to live fully human. You can open your eyes if you want, or you can keep them closed if you want to take a nap. God's call and invitation to be holy is not based on our human effort. God doesn't intend that we will somehow be able to muster sufficient inner strength and fortitude to no longer sin, or to live even the life as Jesus lived. Jesus lived His life full of and empowered by the Holy Spirit, And God's intention is that we would do the same. As followers of God, we are called out of darkness into light to be holy. And we're called to belong to God. Listen to these words from the psalmist. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord is God. It is He that made us and we belong to Him. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And His faithfulness to all generations wow wow belonging to God is a really good thing it's a bit like being adopted by the nicest, most loving richest, most powerful person in the universe wait a minute that is what it's like wouldn't that be some kind of a papa to have so what difference does it make that we belong to God? Well, it can give us profound reassurance of our self-worth. We matter because we belong to the creator of the universe. It can bring order and purpose to our lives. Our life is part of a much bigger picture. It can minimize the stress and the distress we experience in life. Life can be full of pain and heartache. But because we belong to God, we can seek comfort and help from Him. And we don't have to fear death. Rather than death being an unknown obstacle to fear, it's a door to new life. As followers of God, we're called out of darkness into light, to be holy, to belong to God. And we're called together, even as these came this morning, to declare their intention to be among us, to be family. There's a word often used in the New Testament related to the church. It's the word koinonia. We sometimes hear it mentioned in Christian circles. And it has two primary meanings it means, has the meaning of that we are called together for common life. It also has the element of meaning of called together for common purpose. Called together for common life speaks of the sharing together of our lives. It's about knowing and being known, it's about love and mutual care, it's about unity of heart. Called together for common purpose speaks of having similar goals and direction in life. It's about working and serving together. It's about joint accomplishment. It's about unity of vision. We're called together. And we're called as well to something that we hear a lot about in church, and that is we're called to love to love God we're called to love our brothers and sisters in our community and we're also called to love those outside our community in some of my devotional times in January and February I was, I was reflecting over numerous days about God being love and, and what that means and how, what that looks like for us really And I was reminded this morning of 1 John chapter 4. It's not on the screen. passage we're familiar with. John in an incredible declaration says, God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. As I was reflecting that day, I was, I was just sort of thinking and pondering about, God, if, if, if your love, and we're filled with you, then we would be filled with love. And I was thinking about when Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand. And then we see him healing the sick, casting out demons, reconciling human beings. And I thought, the kingdom of God is love. Wherever, the, wherever love is, the kingdom of God is present. God is present. And then I kind of thought about my own life, and I thought about this aspect of, you know... There's really only one thing in life, and that's to love. Anything else misses the mark. If I'm being self-reflective relative to things I want, or I want to do, or I want the world the way I want it, I'm not loving God and loving others, I'm loving me. We're called to love. To be so consumed and transformed by God's love for us who loved us first. That all that can happen is simply that love just washes out everything else. And we become that expression of His love. Called out from the world. We're called into God's light. We're called to be holy. We're called to belong to God. We're called together as God's people and we're called to love. And lastly, the one that we'll speak of, we're called to go back out into the world. The very first one was God calling us out from darkness and from the world. He's calling us into the light, to his church, a family, where we're to be healed and mended where we learn about his love and become people of love unto the purpose of sending us back into the world as missionaries. In what's known as the Great Commission, Jesus said these familiar words, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to do everything I've taught you to do. We're first called to come out of the world. But then the Spirit of God sends us back into the world as Christ's ambassadors. We're called to come in and then to go out. Come in and go back out. I was listening to an audio tape this week from a a previous leader in the vineyard who was actually our national director after John Wimber passed away, Todd Hunter. And he was talking about the purpose of the church, more particularly the purpose of our gatherings. Why, Why do we come together? And he likened it unto, in sports, he was a baseball player, played college ball and was actually anticipating to play uh, professional baseball. Uh, Did not end up doing that with the call of God in his life. Uh, Things changed a little bit. But he said, our meetings are supposed to be like the dugout talks. The pre-game talks. Pick your sport. Football. Doesn't matter. It's the practice field. Where we come together to learn to be trained by the coaches, to play with one another, to be able to play in the game. This meeting this morning is not the game. It's the practice field. And that's a good thing. Because a whole lot of us need some practice. (laughs) I need some practice. Practicing loving. Practicing praying. Practicing faith. John Weber taught us to say that faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Sometimes that's what it looks like. God has been and continues to be on a mission in our world and is a missionary God. We have been created in His image and called to be like Him. Jesus was on a mission. He Himself was a missionary. His disciples were. We're on a mission and became missionaries. We as followers of Jesus are to be on mission as well. We too are to be missionaries. You as a follower of Jesus are to be on a mission and to be a missionary. And that mission is to love, forgive, heal, tell, invite, welcome, give, train, and go. Earlier I spoke of Jesus being a superhero. And I mentioned that we, like Jesus, are also to live powerful, supernatural lives. Somewhat, we're supposed to be superheroes too. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Those who believe in me will do the exact same things I have done. In fact, they're going to do even greater things because I'm going to be with the Father. And He has sent forth His Spirit to live and empower us. We are a called people of the kingdom of God and of the Holy Spirit. We are to self-consciously become the kind of persons who naturally and routinely announce, embody, And demonstrate the reality of the kingdom of God. And this God-lived life is a God-empowered life, but humanly lived. God gives the grace and power, but we're to do the deeds. If you have a mechanically sound car that can run and isn't broken, it'll still need two things to work. Gasoline and spark. Through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we have been made mechanically sound people. But we still can't accomplish this on our own alone. In order to do what God desires for us, we must have His fuel and His power. Once we have been made spiritually whole through Christ, and He's filled us with His Holy Spirit and power, then we have to turn the key, press the gas pedal, and maneuver our vehicle out into the world. There's no such thing as automatic pilot or cruise control in the God-lived life. We must participate. We must take action to live a life as Jesus did. And we do this according to the will of God and filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. With God's Spirit and power, we can be the good and beautiful community that God has called us to be. Called out from the world. Called into God's life. Called to be holy. Called to belong to God called together as God's people, called to love, and called back into the world as his ambassadors and missionaries. In 1979, at the age of 22, Clara and I were able to attend the InterVarsity Missions Conference called Urbana, along with 17,900 other college-age participants For sure, the largest event she and I had ever been at where we saw that many people. And as a closing, I want us to listen to a three-minute promise. It's a three-minute audio clip, no video, of the final talk given by Billy Graham that year. I was going to talk about it, and I Googled Urbana and bumped into audios from all of the Urbanas. And I went, oh my gosh. And so there was... Bless his heart, Billy Graham. So, would you bring that up? And uh, We do need audio coming from the computer. So let's, let's go. It's supposed to come up by itself.
1: But the whole human race is suffering from the spiritual disease of sin, and only Christ and His Gospel can meet it. And so let's get on with this obsession with a new dedication and fervor that we've never known before. It's my prayer that this magnificent obsession, the love of God in Christ, will so constrain hundreds of you that you will offer this very night tonight to serve His call, to march under His flag, to surrender yourself to the Lordship of Christ, to use your gifts for His service. It's my prayer that we will represent Christ with a fervor that will put all worldly enthusiasm to shame night after night on the television, those Iranian students, with their fists in their hands, shouting their slogans, wearing their white gowns, indicating they're ready to be martyrs for their cause. We should put on our gowns tonight and say, we too are willing to be witnesses to martyrdom, coming from the same word as Elizabeth Elliot reminded us the other day. There are four things I want you to consider before I ask you to publicly commit your life to the Lordship of Christ. First, the command we have. It comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. Just before his ascension, he said, as you well know, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the world. This command was given in various forms five times. Some scholars believe that Jesus gave it over and over again. He said to the maniac of Gadara, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for you. Jesus had done great things for him physically by transforming him. He had done great things for him spiritually by forgiving his sins. And you know, he said elsewhere, notice all the way through the Scripture what Jesus said. He said, go and do. Go and show. Go out quickly into the streets and into the lanes. Go out into the highways and hedges. Go into the vineyard. Go into the village. Go into the city. Go into the town. Go to the lost sheep. Go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Go ye into all the world. And Jesus really only had two verbs Come, go, come, go, come to me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to the cross for salvation. Come be reconciled to God. Come repent of your sins. Go into the world and be a witness in the world even unto death. With his commands ringing in their ears, they set out to not only reach the world, but to turn it upside down. If ever there was a generation that needs turning upside down, it's ours. Morally, socially, politically, spiritually. And this crowd here tonight could do it. There was only a handful then. 17, 18,000 of us. What could be done?
0: What could be done? Three dozen, maybe four. What could be done? If we will reply and respond to his call to come and to go. Could the worship team come on up? I'd like to invite you to make a response to God's invitation. His invitation for you as well to commit yourself perhaps again to Christ, His church, and His cause. Perhaps you've made a declaration to Christ in the past. You've said, yes, God. You've heard His call to come. But maybe you've moved away. Maybe you've not fully followed. Maybe it's time to say again, Yes, God. Maybe you've made these commitments before. Maybe it's time to renew them again. During the last song, I would invite you to make some kind of response to God's invitation for us as His good and beautiful community. You may want to stand, perhaps lift your arms, offering yourself. I mentioned that the hands raised for me was was an expression of the words hold me daddy but along the way there I also realized that that's what people do when they surrender I give up and I've raised my hands in surrender quite a few times in my life you may want to come up to the front or to the cross you may want to kneel on our carpeted step we'll have some folks that will come now and into those areas of near the cross and here at the front to pray with you if you would so wish that. Let's sing and let's respond.